you have a Bible, and I invite you to take it up and turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Uh, if you're visiting with us, then you'll want to know that uh, we now find ourselves at the end of our summer series we, t- we called Selah. It was a summer in the Psalms, and we've now found ourselves at the end of that time. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along, which we would strongly encourage you to do, then you can find a, a Bible in the pew back in front of you, and you can find this particular reading on page 485, 485. It's been, a, it's been a good summer, and I hope that this, this uh, study has been as helpful, and the readings that we've provided for you, or the, the guide reading your way through the Psalms has been as rich for you as it has been for me. It's been a great privilege. You know, I don't, I don't consider myself to be a forgetful person, and yet sometimes I forget things, and I forget silly things, right? right? I mean, I forget important things too, um, but I forget silly things. Like, I, I find myself... Uh, more, more times than I care to admit, on a Saturday morning, maybe, you know, I, I brew up a pot of coffee and I pour myself a mug of coffee and go about doing different things, only to find out that in a few minutes I find myself without my mug of coffee and then trying to remember exactly where I put it. Um, and so I kind of retrace my steps and sometimes I'm successful and I'm recovering my, my, my mug uh, and it's still relatively warm and I can salvage the cup. Other times my wife will, find, will come to me and say, honey, I've got a question for you. Why is there a full mug of coffee in our daughter's bedroom? room. And I'll go, oh, that's where that went to. Oh, man. You know, and sometimes I, I think we can have, we have a tendency as Christian people to be that, be like that with our relationship with God. We, we know, we know that he's around. We, we know that we've spent time and yet sometimes life is busy and we're now into September and we're into fall things and there's all of these new things that are starting up and it's a fun time of year, but life is busy and we have our foot on the gas pedal of life as it were. And the psalmist David is reminding himself to his soul. He says, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. He's talking to his soul. He's talking to himself, reminding himself of his need to praise God. Pastor Eugene Peterson says this, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the worship of God. And this morning, what I'd like to do is provide through the words of Psalm 103 an interruption to your preoccupation with you and me with myself in order that we might be able to attend to the very word and presence of God in our lives this morning. Let's turn our attention now to Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. For whoever or who forgives our sins and heals our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. 
He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Let's pray together. Father, now we come to you, the God of the word, and ask that you this morning will open up our eyes and our hearts, that you, Father, will interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves, and you will help us attend to your presence through your word, please. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It is oftentimes the role of the preacher, of the pastor, to, give, to have a ministry of reminder. If too often, then I come here with great and innovative things, then chances are that I'm not very close and tied to the scriptures or to the Bible. And so this morning, if I can, I would like to provide you a reminder I would like to interrupt your preoccupation with yourself with a reminder. From this psalm, David provides us with things that we don't want to forget. First is this. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget the benefits of God. He says, praise the Lord, verse 2, praise the Lord my soul and forget not his benefits. Now, I don't know what you normally think of when you think when the word benefits come to mind. I have a tendency to think of healthcare programs, right? You get, you get your benefits from work, and that means that you have to go attend some mind-numbing meeting where someone talks about, uses language that you don't largely understand and talk about things that don't seem relevant to you at the time, and then you walk away from the meeting and go, I probably should have just had another cup of coffee, right? I think that's kind of how that goes until all of a sudden you need to make use of the benefits, and then you go into the person at your office and say, hey, can you help me understand this? There's a danger, there's an inherent danger as we go through the benefits of God that we treat this like we do those meetings where we get our benefits from our office. Where, let's not allow that to happen because you will need to make use of the benefits of God. And David outlines a few of them here for us and says, don't, I don't want you to forget the benefits that you have because you are connected to the God of the Bible. The first is this, he forgives, who forgives all your sins, verse 3. Don't forget that you have been forgiven, and we all need to be forgiven. 
Not one of us here has never been in need of forgiveness. I I happen to be someone who doesn't do well if I know there's tension in a relationship. I'm not one who can go to bed angry. I don't like doing that. It doesn't work very well for me. Some of you uh, can and are able to do that. That's not how I am. If I know that there's tension in a relationship, I need to go address it and deal with it and be done with it to the best of my ability. That's just how I am. Uh, Because if I know that I've offended someone, then I want to go and ask for forgiveness in order that I might be able to pursue peace and restoration because I need forgiveness. But my greatest need is not forgiveness from other people, nor is yours, as much as we need that. Our greatest need is forgiveness with God because when we have erred, when we have sinned, when we have moved away from what God has called us to do and have hurt other people, yes, we have offended other people, but the greatest offense always goes to a holy God. And your greatest need, whether you realize it or not, whether you've admitted it or not, is to be forgiven by him and to be restored in relationship with him. And the psalmist says, if you are a child of God, if you trust in Christ, if you come in here this morning as a Christian, then you have been forgiven all your sins, your sins, your mistakes, whether through things you should have done that you didn't do or things that you did that you shouldn't have done. All of these things are carried up because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and paid the penalty. And because he stayed on the cross, then you, by trusting in him, know forgiveness. Don't forget. Don't forget, child of God, that you have been forgiven. A second benefit is that he heals. He heals all your diseases. Don't forget that God is a God who heals, and we need healing this morning. None of us comes in here fully healed, well healed. We look like it. We look around and say, hey, look look how well healed I am. But the reality of the fact is none of us comes well. I I had a wonderful opportunity to have a discussion with a woman who just happened to walk into the church this week, and I happened to be walking in, and then we sat down, and she said, you know what I need most? I just need to be healed. And she wasn't talking about physical healing. She was talking about her life just needed healing. She needed relational healing. She needed emotional healing. She needed psychological, she needed to be healed. And you know what I did to her, with her? I said, you need to get into a church. And can I just pray for you? Because we serve a God who heals. He heals. He heals psychologically. He heals physically. He heals emotionally. He heals spiritually. God may choose to use doctors and modern medicine to heal. God may choose to use counselors and psychologists to heal. God may choose to use prayer and the people of his church to heal. But don't forget this morning, friends, that the God we serve is a God who is in the business of healing and restoring people that he loves. Don't forget his benefits, that God forgives, that God heals that God redeems, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Don't forget this morning that God redeems. David says that he, God deserves the praise of his people because he is a God who redeemed them when they were headed toward destruction and towards death. And so therefore, because God gave us a U-turn, because he interjected, because he redeemed, because he bought back, because he saved, he is worthy of our praise. 
I don't know if you've seen these movie trailers now for the movie called Sully that's, that's coming out. Have you seen that? And it's about the pilot who actually landed the plane in the Hudson River and it's more focused on that particular. And we love that kind of stuff, don't we? I mean, I look at those things and I go, oh, I got to see that movie. Because I love the story of redemption. I love the story of salvation. I love that kind of stuff. We love that stuff. That's the story of the Bible. Friends, we serve a God who's still in the business of redeeming, of turning lives around, of giving people a 180. He's still in the business. And don't forget that this is the God that you serve, that this is the God that we worship. In a world of increasing separation, in a world of increasing polarization, whether it's from our neighbors or whether it's in the political realm, then we come and we come before and we open our Bibles, then we serve a God who redeems lives, who redeems relationships, a God who turns people from destruction and from selfishness and from distraction and replaces it with love and compassion. He redeems. Don't forget, friends. And finally, don't forget that he satisfies Verse 5, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God is one who gives you good things. I love pizza. I'm not going to lie to you. I love pizza. I, seriously, I would, have, I would have a six-pack abs if pizza did not exist. I'm convinced of it. You know, I don't have six-pack abs, and I do love pizza. And I praise God for pizza. Every time, I, I praise him. And some pizza places, I praise him for more than others. We can discuss that at another time. But he satisfies my desires with good things. Most of the time, it has meat on it. Sorry, vegetarians. I just... He gives us homes and kids and jobs and books and food and friends and Labor Day a day off, all from God for you to enjoy because he gives you good things, because we have a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. We are his children and therefore gives you strength. He is the one who will renew your strength for your Mondays and for your doctor visits and for whatever difficulties of your life. He will renew your strength. Don't forget that he satisfies your desires and gives you strength that you need. I want to interrupt you this morning. I want to interrupt your self-preoccupation to remind you not to forget the benefits of the God that we serve and that we worship. I want to interrupt your preoccupation with self to remind you that we ought not to forget his justice. Don't forget his justice. That's what the psalmist continues on. Don't forget his benefits. And secondly, don't forget his justice. Verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The, wor the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. This is important for us this morning. In a world where that we, in, in our current environment, we as the church of Jesus Christ need to be convinced and reminded of the righteousness and justice of the God that we serve. This morning, or this week, I, I had the opportunity of being a, a part of the coaching staff of my son's football team. Um, I don't know anything about football, so I'm like the assistant to the assistant to the assistant. Like, that's my role, which means I, I basically get the water. Um, 
but I was talking with one of the other coaches and he, he's a non-active Catholic. It's kind of what he would describe himself as. And, and yet there we were on the side of the football field and we were just sort of there and the kids were playing and we, and then all the, the sun started to set over the field and then he just pauses and he turns to me and he says, this is how I know there's a God. And he was talking about the sunset as it was. And he's like, and I need that in the crazy world that we live in, the craziness of the world that we live in. Because what he needs and what I need and what you need this morning is to be reminded is that God, the God that we serve, is a God of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. David continues, and then he goes on. As he, after he makes that comment, then he says, he made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Now, what, the, what David is doing, he's, he's now saying, this is, God is a God who sees those who are oppressed, and he is a God of justice. And so he goes back to the story of the people of Israel and goes back to the place where the Israelites were in Egypt, and they were uh, under oppression. They were told to work and to make bricks, but not given the materials, and they cry out to God. God sends Moses and delivers the people out of oppression, right? And then there's a whole bunch that goes to the story but he gives them the way in which they ought to live in order to please him and to honor him he gave it to them once they didn't do it right he gave it to him a second time so in exodus chapter 34 then we read this so moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up on mount sinai early in the morning now he's going to get the 10 commandments for the second time and as the lord had commanded him he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet... He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. He says, this is the Lord. I am the Lord. He's, God is saying this to Moses. I am the Lord who is gracious, a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, and yet, and yet, the guilty will not go unpunished. Yet the guilty will not go unpunished. This is what he says. In the Lord, this phrase that David picks up on here in the psalm, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. This would have been common to the Jewish people because as a young Jewish child, they would have known the answer. This would have been a rote answer that they would have memorized. When they would have been questioned and said, what is God? The answer is, God is the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. What is God? He is the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Why? Because, of course, this is what God said about himself. And then the psalmist goes on in verse 9 and says, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God doesn't always accuse, and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. If God treated us as our sins deserve, then as soon as we sinned, then there would have been, I don't know, a lightning bolt from God and you'd be gone. 
He doesn't do that. He didn't do that with you. He didn't do it with any of us. Why not? How is it then that God can say he is just and yet still is giving forgiveness and compassion and grace? How can, how can that exist? How can that be? That God is completely just, a God of justice and righteousness, and yet still is a God of grace and compassion. If God must punish all sin in order to maintain his justice, then how can he possibly forgive sinners? It's as if we have a judge who is put into place. You understand this. And if a judge that, that we have sitting on, on the courts all of a sudden starts to decide to show love to those who are coming in and who are rapists and terrorists and murderers, and we, wouldn't, we would say, okay, well, that's A plus for showing love and grace and compassion, but where's justice? Justice hasn't been served. Where's justice? You're supposed to be the judge. You're supposed to... God's answer is this. Jesus' sacrificial death satisfied God's wrath and displays his justice in justifying sinners who have faith in Jesus. Jesus' sacrificial death satisfies God's wrath, his holy and righteous wrath, and displays his justice in justifying sinners who have faith in Jesus. Or the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans, he, as he writes in Romans chapter 3. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to, re to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God presented Christ as, this, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. If you trust in him through the shedding of his blood, the sacrifice of atonement, all of the righteous wrath of Almighty God was placed on Jesus when Jesus was on the cross and he shed his blood and it is to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because uh, in his forbearance, in his patience, he saw the sins of humanity. He saw the injustices. He saw it all. And yet he did not punish it. He did not treat us as our sins deserve because he knew there was going to come a perfect sacrifice who was Christ. And when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, then all of the righteous wrath to cover all of the sins of humanity were placed on Christ. And Jesus Christ drank the righteous wrath of God all the way down to the dregs in order that those who trust in him may not experience the wrath of God may be freed from that. And so we have, as Paul says, the one who is just, God who is just because sin had to be punished, and the one who justifies because God sent his own son to be the one who would justify you and me and all who would take, all who would put their faith in Jesus. And this is what he says. So therefore, we can joyfully say, as the psalmist says in verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So we are those who recognize 
who we can say that because we as Christians have put our faith and trust in Christ and in him and in his perfect sacrifice, that we have experienced the grand love of Almighty God and this love is so far, uh, uh, so grand and so wonderful for us that it's as if it's as, as far as the heavens are above the earth. And it's as far, he's taken your sins away from you as far as the east is from the west because we all have done things for which we regret, which we can't forget. And we all are tempted to go back to God and say, God, I know I've prayed this before. I know I've asked for forgiveness before. But, when the, the, but I can't help but come back again and say, would you forgive me for this or that? Would you forgive me for the way I did this? For the way I parented my children? Would you forgive me for what I said here? For the way I did this here? And God says, just, what are you talking about? When the evil one in, in comes in a, and accuses you as a child of God, that somehow... You are inadequate as a child of God. And we come again to our heavenly father and say to him, God, I, I apologize again. I forgive me again. God says, no, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I, have I removed your transgressions. Why are you coming back? That's gone. That's dealt with. Because God went to such lengths to preserve, preserve his justice and to show great compassion then we can know that our sins have been removed once and for all for those who trust in him. The question is not, the, the question then is, we, there must be punishment for sin. For those who fail to trust or re refuse to trust in Jesus Christ, what they're saying is, then I want, then the wrath of God is still upon me and I am seeking to bear the burden of my own sin. Or, it's for those who have come under the umbrella, those who have trusted in Christ and have recognized that because of what Christ has done for them, that all of their sins are taken as far as the east is from the west. It's important for us because God went to such lengths. God went to such lengths to prove his justice. Then we can be sure that God will perfectly enact justice in our world that he will not let evil go unpunished, that he will not let evil go unchecked, that he will deal with the evil and injustices of our world in his perfect time and he will deal with it perfectly. I don't know how to deal with the injustices of our world perfectly. God does. I don't see all the injustices of our world. I can't see them all and neither can you. God does. He sees them all. He knows them all and he will deal with every single one of them. And that is important for you to know that the God of heaven is righteous and just and he will mete out perfect justice on all of the evil of all of the world for all of time. Because for those of you who come into this room this morning as a victim of injustice, you need to know that God sees and God knows and he will deal with that. For those of you who come into this room this morning and your lives have been scarred by rape, God sees and God knows and you need to be reminded. For those of you who come in this morning and have your lives marred by abuse, God sees and God knows and he will deal with the evil 
injustice, injustices, for those who weep over the refugee crisis because you hear story after story of broken lives God sees and God knows, for those who are broken over the racism and injustices of our cities that doesn't seem to have an end, know that God sees and he knows, and he will mete out perfect justice. For those who are suffering under the weight of inequities of our world, know that God sees And this morning you can take hope and you can be of good cheer because I want to remind you this morning that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's abounding in love and faithfulness and yet he does not let the guilty go unpunished. You need to know. We need to know. We need to be reminded that this is the God that we praise. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget his justice. Thirdly, don't forget his compassion. I want to interrupt our preoccupation with our needs and ourselves with the compassion of God. Verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that we are how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and it remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with his children's children and those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. As a father has compassion on his children, so God has compassion on you and me. We need to be reminded of that. Why? Because he knows us. God understands us. He knows how we are formed. He knows the brevity of our lives. He knows our, our inadequacies. He knows our strengths. He knows it all. God, who is our heavenly father, knows you and sees you. And this is so important for us to remember. As a coach, I had to go through like all this training. Like uh, we had to go through like this four-hour online training course, to, and we had to get a background check and all this stuff in order to just be on the football field, which is pretty pretty intense. Uh, I guess it's good, uh, but one of the things that I was reminded of as I was going through a struck by in the training for co- for football coaches is this simple phrase. They said the kids are not these kids who are playing football are not little adults. They're not miniature adults. They're kids. You may remember, as they're talking to coaches, you may remember the last time you were coached in college or in high school. That's not who these kids are. These are, these are third graders. These are fourth graders. These are fifth graders. They're kids. Remember that they're kids. Coaches, I don't know if you know this or not, can have a t- especially football coaches, can have a tendency to lose perspective. God never does. God never loses perspective on you. Who knows children better than their parents? Who knows how the children are formed better than their parents? The children don't know. I'm, not talk, I'm, I'm talking about the fact that I, we as parents are the ones who tell our children, we show them pictures of when they were born. We tell them their first word. We tell them how they took their first steps because we know our children. 
We know the differences between our children. We know when we hear words that are just going to devastate the soul of our children. And we know that we're the ones who have to come alongside and have to scoop them up when they are broken. We know our children because we are their parents. You have a heavenly father who has compassion because he knows you. He knows you. And you need to be reminded this morning that this is the God that you worship. He is a God who knows how you were formed. He knows the brevity of your life. He knows your weaknesses. He knows that you're, you're staying up till 10, but you should have been in bed by eight. He knows. He knows that you're just wiped out. He knows that you're telling everybody how fine you are and that your Facebook image is fantastic, but inside you're crumbling. He knows that everyone thinks that you're beautiful and tells you that you're beautiful, but when you look in the mirror, you say everything's scarred and ugly. He knows. God knows because he is your heavenly father who is filled with compassion. You need to be reminded that he knows you because you are his child. Don't forget his fatherly compassion for you this morning. And finally this, finally this, don't forget his praise. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, who, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. The Lord rules over all. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. And because the Lord is in control of all things, all things are within his purview. All things, there is nothing that escapes him and escapes his kingdom. Then he says, all of you angels praise his name. All of you who are in the heavenly host, praise his name. All of you who are part of his dominion, praise his name. Oh, my soul, praise his name. Because I want to remind you, don't forget to praise because you're not praising in isolation. But we are joining with all of those believers who have come before thousands of years before, who have been praising the name of Jesus Christ and bowing down in praise to the very God of the Bible. And right now, at this moment, there are people praising the same God in other nations and other languages praising God. We, our lives fit into the grand narrative of praise that goes to Almighty God. And if God tarries, then we will be setting the example of all those generations who will follow behind us, who will be singing the praises of Almighty God until one day all of this grand choir is joined together when Jesus Christ brings his dominion down to earth. And there's new heavens and the new earth. And forevermore, we will be praising your voice will be a part of that choir. Do you understand that this is where your life fits into God's grand plan of his kingdom that he is building and we get to be a part? One of my, I don't have a great voice. <laughs> That's why I'm not up here uh, singing, right? It's, one, of my, one of my fears is always, you know, because I sing and we praise, right? And, and I have a microphone on and I'm, those people scare me because they can record me singing and I feel like uh, they're gonna do something at some point. It's just gonna come back to bite me. I just feel that way. It's not them, it's just me. It's, it's all about me. Those people are awesome, but maybe with auto-tune it would help or I just feel like somehow it's gonna be worked into a rap video or something and it's just gonna be embarrassing and I'm gonna get fired or something like that. I don't know. 
I don't have a great voice. Maybe you don't either. Maybe you think your voice is small. Maybe it's squeaky. Maybe it's a robust baritone. Maybe it's quiet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your voice or mine. But you get to be a part of all that God is doing, that you get to be a part right now of adding your voice and that your voice is joining all those who've come before and your voice is setting the example for those who will come behind until our voices are joined together and the beautiful, I guarantee it will be beautiful. Praises of God for all of eternity. What a great privilege. May we say to our souls this morning, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grand privilege of adding our voices, whether squeaky or strong, to the grand choir that is singing your praises. May we never forget to praise. May we never forget your benefits or forget your justice or forget your compassion or forget to turn our hearts to praise to you. Thank you for David's reminder for us this morning. In, his, in your name we pray, amen.